Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, Paul Lapolis, the new head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks, helps Winnipeg end the drought. 29 years in the making, offensive coordinator, the mastermind behind the Blue Bombers' success, you might say, on offense in the playoffs. Some, some people have said, okay? We talk about his choice to go to Ottawa, be a head coach again, and what he's going to remember about his time in Winnipeg. Also, Jeff Powell, executive director of the Canadian Sports Centre Manitoba on the Russian anti-doping scandal and the four-year ban from international competition from WADA. Is it actually going to do anything? And we're also going to learn from a young new Canadian about rocks for rings for newcomers and why that's helped him learn more about the country as well as Carolyn Trono, the director of long-term athletic development for the Sport for Life Society. That's all coming up on the podcast. Paul Lapolis today was introduced as head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks, and Lapo joins us now on the CGOB Sports Show. Paul, how has your last 48 hours been? Uh, a little hectic, a little busy, I got to say, and a lot of text messages and stuff, but it's great. It's, uh, it's been a fun couple days. It's been a quick couple days, though. Absolutely. So when did you decide that you wanted to give head coaching another shot? Yeah, you know, somebody asked me that earlier today. It's like, you know, when did the juices start burning and how many, like, uh, to me, like, uh, I don't know if I ever, you know, I I, I think if you're good at your job, you care about your job. Like, I'm always looking, you know, observing everything like Osh did well and everything. Oh, that's neat. I would do that if I was a head coach again. But uh, there was never this burning desire. I have to be a head coach again. I've been a head coach before. It doesn't define me going back to that. Uh, I was loving what I did as a coordinator. I loved everybody I worked with. So, you know, it's it, it certainly when other people have called before and I've either declined interviews or uh, pulled out of uh, job opportunities because they weren't the right fit. So, you know, it had to be the right spot, it had to be the right spot for my family and all those things. So, you know, certainly when this job opened and they called for permission to ask, uh, I said, yeah, this is something definitely we should be looking at. So why is Ottawa the right fit for you and your family? Um. So, you know, certainly a team, you know, from logistically, let's go that first before the football wise. I'm an East Coaster. This is a little bit closer. It's still seven hours away, so it's still a flight away, but it is a little bit closer back to the East Coast. Um, the city of Ottawa is outstanding and, you know, haven't heard, you know, heard, heard any anything. Everyone I've, who has texted me and sent me messages, oh, I've lived in there. I love Ottawa. So we knew it's a nice place to raise family and kids. Um my kids are both in French immersion, so they can continue to grow in that. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it, it's certainly a good spot. Now, from the football aspect, uh, this organization's done a really good job since they came back to, uh, you know, since when they came back into the league. Uh, and they've won a lot of football games. Rick Kendall's done a good job of winning football games and making this one of the more competitive places in the East. Uh, great facilities. Great conversations with Marcel Desjardins about what, you know, he wants to do. And I think we were on the same page on what we needed to fix. So hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully it's going to work out great for us. But, uh, you know, it's been a great spot. Uh, You know, the last two days have been outstanding. Good ownership, good leadership. It's been good. And your trips to Ottawa in the past as a member of the Blue Bombers or whenever you've visited Red Blacks games, what has been your takeaway from the environment of a Red Blacks home game? Yeah, you know, a young fan base that's really enjoying the game. And, uh, you know, certainly the football, you you always want to work at a place where football is important. 
Um, and certainly football has always been important in Winnipeg, which, uh, you know, I treasured and I treasured all the, the fans. And now this is another place where football is important. So excited for that. Um, and certainly, you know, every game we came over here, I mean, I think last year was an overtime game that, that was it last year. Yeah. Or two years ago, two years it was an ago. overtime game. And then the year before that, we had to drive the length of the field to kick a field goal to win. It's just been, you know, it's really, uh, you know, there's been some talented teams through here. What will you remember about your time in Winnipeg? Uh, you know, just just the relationships. You know, uh, the last four years have been awesome. You know, uh, just enjoying the conversations with OSHA every day and, and the guys I've worked with, Marty uh, Costello, Buck Pierce, Kevin Burgoyne, uh, you know, Bob Wiley, just really good people. Richie Hall every day having a, you know, it's, it doesn't get much better when, when you get to work with Richie Hall every single day because he's such a good man and the rest of the coaching staff. And, you know, certainly the fans of, uh, you know, I, I would thank, so many fans have been thanking me for the Grey Cup, getting the Grey Cup back. I should, you know, and I keep telling them I thank you for, you know, the support. They care about football. And certainly they've been great to me and my family over the, the good and the bads of the nine years I was there. What about the last couple of weeks since the Grey Cup title? What has that been like for you? Oh, crazy busy, right? Going from the parade to, I think we had one nice night with a family just kind of had the game taped and we just kind of relaxed, had some drinks and watched the game. Uh, then we had the social and then, you know, then you started into flag football for the the kids. And then the next week was traveling, you know, traveling through the interview process and all that. And, and now it's, you know, now, now it's Monday and it's a new job and 200 text messages. So it's been a wild ride for you, but let's take a quick look back at your first head coaching job. What has changed about the gig and perhaps the league since the last time you were a head coach? All right. So the first thing has changed about the gig is like everybody has like a person following you around with a video camera now with the technology. So you get to the airport and there's a guy checking out what shirt you're wearing. Right. And there's a, you know, there's, Oh, we're going to put this on Twitter. Oh, let's do this video. You know, so there's so much more social media, I think around you. Uh, that's one thing. Um, and then just, uh, I think I'm better at all the relationships now of um, how I want to, how I want to, control the team, how I want to manage our situations, how I want to manage things with the defense and the special teams. I think I'm more prepared for that now. I certainly have kind of understand what's most important in football and what's not. Maybe as a first-time head coach, you may sometimes concentrate on some details that maybe weren't the most important. Don't focus on those. Focus on the things that are most important to win in football games. I think I can learn from from my first time around. And, you know, certainly I always say this. People go – you know, they, they always seem to not want to hire somebody who's been a coach before. And it's like, well, would you ever go to a dentist who's the first person ever? You know, don't you want the guy who's been doing it for a while and has experiences? So, but, you know, usually the shiny new car has no, you know, it's just because it's brand new and nobody knows anything about it. You know, there's always some wart they want to say with somebody who's been a former head coach. Sure. One of the questions you'll get a lot in Ottawa is what are you going to, what's going to happen with the quarterback situation there? It was a struggle all year. This past season, a lot of quarterback free agents, including all three here in Winnipeg. Any preliminary thoughts on what to do with that position in Ottawa? Well, like every other position in free agency, we'll you know we'll evaluate the players that are free agents and the players in the building, and we'll try to get a listing of guys and, and then see who 
we think can fit in with us and and help us help help us get better. So we certainly think uh, we certainly think the air, the place, the community, and uh, what we're going to do offensively should you know uh, uh, and our reputation should should attract people to want to come here. So does that start right away, or does that wait till after the holidays? Oh yeah, I'm trying to hire a staff, and we're you know talk to the staff that was here before. Yeah, we're a ways away from some of that stuff. Okay. Finally, Paul, before I let you go, what will the first game back in Winnipeg be like? Oh, it'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great to see all the pl- former players and see the fans. Uh, uh, you know, I got ten years in and helped win a Grey Cup, so I, they should not boo me. Let me just say that right <laughs> off the bat. Right, helped win a Grey Cup, been there a bunch of times. So, yeah, it'd be great to see that everybody. You know. You know, just certainly Winnipeg has been a, you know, it's uh, my wife is from Winnipeg. I've been there three different times. It's, you know, it's, I would say it's my Canadian home. (laughs) But now it's Ottawa. And yeah, it is a little closer to, uh, to New Hampshire. But uh, another question I wanted to ask you before you go, would a a 10th team in the East, you know, getting a team in Halifax, that's even closer to New Hampshire, but is that something the league needs to get a 10th team in there, balance out the East and West five and five? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's not for me to say, but certainly uh, being a fan of Halifax, I would say definitely get another team out there, you know, to, to go do an away game over there. Uh, just, uh, we did a, I was with the Ticats when we did a game in Halifax versus the Argos and just that city was outstanding and tremendous. So it'd be neat from a, from a travel standpoint to go up there and play a game. Um, but no, I think the lead's doing good. We just got to keep building our product and keep going. Well, Paul, I appreciate your time today. Congratulations on the new gig, and maybe we'll catch up with you when you come back to Winnipeg next year. Thank you very much. Take care. The World Anti-Doping Agency today making a big statement. Oh, those Russians. WADA dropping the hammer on Russia, banning them from international sports events. Not all events, but some events for the next four years because of a longstanding doping scandal. So that includes... The 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo, 2022 World Cup in Qatar. However, much like last year's games, athletes that prove they're clean can compete. Remember the Olympic athletes from Russia winning gold in hockey, of course. Joining me to talk about this is Jeff Powell, Executive Director of the Canadian Sports Centre Manitoba, an Olympian, world champion rower from right here in Winnipeg. And Jeff, what message does this send to Russia? Well, I think it sends the same message that they've been trying to send for the last three, four years now, that their doping compliance practices are not just not compliant. They are actively encouraging state-sanctioned doping. Will this actually discourage Russia then? Well, that remains to be seen. I mean, they, they made some token efforts. Uh, in the aftermath of the Rio games and the challenges that WADA had with their procedures then. Uh, Now, I'm going to say that the last time the IOC was not nearly as strong in support of WADA as it appears to be this school round. So there were a few more loopholes that Russia could still get its athletes on the world stage. This time, it seems like those loopholes have been closed down. How much power does WADA have without the support of the governing bodies like IOC, like IIHF, FIFA, and the like? Very little. I mean, they can they can enact sanctions, but ultimately it's the international federations and groups like the IOC or the IPC that 
that are are responsible for enforcing them. Okay, so with the Olympics' help then keeping them out of the Games, but we remember the Olympic athletes from Russia, OAR, competing in South Korea last February. I It seems like something similar will happen next year with athletes that can prove they're clean, so it's not all Russians, but should all Russians be banned just blanket from the Games to really hammer this home? Well, that's... Um... That depends a lot on your views on justice, to be totally honest with you, right? So even the McLaren report, on which a lot of this this was based, identified that this was not 100% of the Russian team that was was doping. They pegged the number at somewhere between 50 and 60%. So it's an enormous percentage, but there is no question that there will be clean athletes not allowed to participate as a result of this ruling. So... Should Russia have incredibly severe sanctions? Yes, absolutely. Uh, is it the case that there are going to be clean athletes that are caught up in this? Yes, absolutely. So uh, as for the should, I think it's one of these cases where the, the violation was so egregious that they felt the need to take a step of this nature. Um, but it's not as clean as we might wish it would be. Okay. From so, From an outsider point of view, when you're an athlete training, doing it all clean, and you end up finding out that someone you competed against in the past probably wasn't, how do you feel about that? Oh, I think, well, particularly in Canada, I think they've got no patience for it whatsoever. And it, uh, it diminishes their sports in a lot of cases. People will say, oh, you know, those cyclists or those weightlifters, right? They, they all get tarred with the same brush. And then it also... I mean, I think we all have this sense of there should be some fairness. I mean, I have young kids, and if ever you try and pass something that is unfair, it's it's horribly discouraging, and it creates a great deal of um, of animosity. So, I think Canadian athletes are entirely in the right for being frustrated, being upset. Uh, I think not just at Russia, but I think at some of the international agencies that have taken a rather weak response to this in the past it doesn't seem like uh russia's hockey teams will be impacted by this at the ihf events like the world juniors upcoming and world championships i don't think this doping scandal hits the hockey community as much as it does most of the other sports maybe that's a part of it but how do you feel about that well, I mean, I think I'd go back to my what I was just saying, right, is is there are international federations, and I'm going to say WADA needs to wear this a little bit itself, uh, given its previous response, who don't take this as, serious, as seriously as they should, um, who have been far too weak in their response. And I think that you'll see the IIHF get some pressure over their decisions on this. We're speaking with Jeff Powell at the Canadian Sports Centre Manitoba about the Russian doping scandal and their four-year ban from international sports competitions. I get the feeling that, and this we've seen this in cycling, it, you know, it takes a super long time to clean it up. Usually the, the cheaters are always a step or two ahead of the people trying to police the cheaters. I get the feeling that this is going to continue in Russia. They're just going to find new ways to get around it, maybe not at the same scale as the past, but still they're going to try because that seems to be part of the sport culture there. How would you respond to that? 
Well, I'd like to be able to say that I think you're wrong, but I'm not sure that you are. Um, And I'd also take issue with the fact that they will try it at a different scale. I mean, they've shown very clearly that they're, um, they're quite willing to play by their own rules for nationalist purposes. And I think it would be a little bit foolish of us to think that a WADA sanction will cause those decision makers to change the way they want to play the game. So what is the proper punishment then? How do how do we truly enact change? And by we, I mean, you know, the power brokers that be. How do we finally get rid of this once and for all? Well, I don't know that you're ever going to get rid of it, right? I mean, um, there are sanctions against cheating in all of the professional sports that we're a little more familiar with here in North America. And leagues are always levying fines and suspensions for them. So I think whenever we're in a world where it's highly, highly competitive, and there is some reward, whether it's reputational or financial, for uh, for winning. You're going to see there's an incentive to cheat. What I do wonder about, though, is rather than simple participation bans, I do wonder about a condition of reinstatement being an enormous fine on on Rusada and the Russian government and the sports ministry that allows an entity like WADA to really step up its enforcement efforts, right? I mean, it's um, it's an agency that does do some good work, but is limited. And if you have a state actor whose budget will dwarf WADA's, that's not a level playing field for WADA to compete on either. So I do wonder about things like an enormous fine of the Russian sport ministry as a precondition for reinstatement. Uh, that would fund water for the next 10 years at a very, very high level. I wonder if that would be a mechanism that might uh, might get at some of what you're talking about. Okay. And they've also been, just to re- reiterate this, yeah, participation from the Olympics and the World Cup are in question, as well as hosting international events as well, which like is a way of revenue that they might not be getting. But, you know, there are, there's an opportunity for appeal, so... In the end, this might not even be that harsh of a hammer to the nail that is this doping scandal. So four years from now, how do you think we're going to end up looking back on this? Well, I mean, my suspicion will be that the uh, – so if, if Russia were to take it for, to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is their right to do, uh, my suspicion is that they will largely uphold the ban, especially in light of the fact that it's the second go-round. Um and it really remains to be seen how Russia chooses to respond. Uh, there's some phenomenally talented athletes and coaches in that country who can and should be able to compete clean, and they have simply chosen as a state not to do that. So I, I wouldn't want to speculate on Russia's actions. I don't have a, an inside line to the Kremlin or anything like that. But um, one would hope that to the extent that Russia needs and wants its athletes to be seen to be competing as Russians, they will take steps to come into compliance. I have mixed feelings about whether they're going to do that or not. Of course, of course. Well, Jeff, I appreciate your time and your insight on this tonight. And obviously there there are people at all levels, whether it's at that level or at the IOC, there's corruption everywhere. And that's kind of the one thing plaguing these international sporting events. But we seem we always seem to put it aside and enjoy the events for the two weeks that they're on or the month that the World Cup is on. And then throughout the four years in between, we're just railed with all this negativity. 
Yeah, and I, I hope that your Canadian, well, your Canadian listeners, I guess everyone here will be Canadian, but I hope that people feel uh, that the Canadian athletes are not tarred with this particular brush. Um, the Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sports runs a very rigorous uh, anti-doping campaign and testing here in Canada, and I would say Canadian athletes are among the most scrutinized and most tested in the world um, and I would certainly hope that this news, as disappointing and as discouraging as it is, does not serve to tar people's or color people's impressions of the athletes that are representing Canada on the international stage. Jeff, I appreciate your time. Take care. Love it. Thank you very much. You too. Now, I've watched curling for a very long time, and I see ads for rocks and rings constantly during curling broadcasts. I'd never given it a shot, but tonight we're welcoming in Carolyn Trono, who is the Director of Long-Term Athlete Development for the Sport for Life Society, and Ali Aljuma, who has participated in Rocks and Rings. Good evening to both of you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. So we'll start with you, Carolyn. Uh, tell me more about Rocks for Rings for Newcomers. So what we, we have what we call here is the Winnipeg Newcomer Sport Academy, and what we promote within that is a multi-sport experiences. So we primarily focus on soccer, but we do many other sports. And one Canadian sport is curling. Can't always get on the ice and go to a curling club, but we expect to. So a great option um, is to use Curling Canada's Rocks and Rings program, which is a modified version that you can do in the gym. So we have had the kids, the athletes in our program, try Rocks and Rings. So it's actually quite fantastic. Allie, do you like Rocks and Rings? Yeah, of course. It was really good. Yeah. Was it hard? A little bit. Yeah. Now, uh, you, you're from Syria. How long have you been in Canada? Ten months. Ten months. Okay. So you haven't tried on ice yet, right? No. But do you want to? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Carolyn, do you curl? I don't. Okay. I don't. Have no. you? I have. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but what's interesting about it? This is a very new thing for them. So when I say we're going on ice because they've done skating, mm, okay. they say, "Do we do? Do we bring our skates to curling?" Right? But it's not. The answer yeah. is no. The answer is no. It would be interesting to try curling with skates mm-hmm. on, but I think it'd probably be a little dangerous. Perhaps. Who knows? Maybe it could be a new way of doing a sport. <laughs> Though but, I've slipped on ice mm-hmm. while curling before, mm-hmm. so I can tell you that much. So. Uh, Ali, just what sports did you play back in Syria? Soccer? Soccer, yeah. Yeah, and so you've played soccer with this too? Yeah. Okay. Now, what do you like about soccer? Mm, soccer is a really good game. There's, like, you can run a lot, and it's a fun game. And now, Carolyn, the some people look at curling and think that, and I'm probably, Winnipeggers don't need to be told this, but it's physically demanding. Yes. Well, it is physically demanding, but the thing is, and the reason why we do many sports is so that the the athletes and their families can participate in many sports. So they have opportunities to connect with other kids, other Canadians in the sport environment. Mm-hmm. So we, we like the kids to run. We like the kids to play because it's physically good for them right. and it's mentally good for them. But sport is a great way of connecting people. So they can be invited to the curling rink and actually know the game. Right. So in your experience through this program, and how long has this 
Academy been around? Well, the Academy has officially only been a legal not-for-profit for about six weeks. Okay. But we've, six, very new. But we've been running the program since May of 2016. Okay. And what has been the reaction and feedback to it? Very positive. Um, it's interesting to watch the kids uh, yeah. when they go, oh, we don't want to try something new. But when they try something new, they absolutely love it. So it could be skating. Uh, volleyball, curling. curling is another one, this yeah. one. And some of the kids say, oh, this is going to be really boring. But they absolutely, and these kids were just so engaged playing rocks and rings. Um, the teamwork, yeah, it's just been really good. You can't win by yourself. You have to, to work with the team. Absolutely. And uh, so, Ali, have you tried skating then too? Yeah. And how do you like it? Really good. And it's hard to learn. Yes, it, yes, I I, I've tried to teach some of my friends from back home that don't know how to skate either. We're from Canada. They don't know how to skate either. And it's it can be hard to, to stop. Do you find it hard to stop? No, because I play rollerblading. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so that helps then. So you, I'm sure you've found that there have been transferable skills across their past experiences to some of our more Canadian games. So what what we really focus on is physical literacy. Many sports, fundamental movement skills, fundamental sports skills to make sure that when the kids actually try something new, they have the movement abilities to be able to pick things up a little bit faster. Not all can, but we have great instructors. So we use quality sport programs like Rocks and Rings, like the Can Skate program to get really developmentally appropriate instruction and very qualified instructors. So we try to have the best people come to teach the kids. And the idea of rocks and rings, even for people that grow up in Canada that haven't curled before, it's that exact idea. So you're not just stepping out on the ice for the first time having no clue what's going on. That could be dangerous. Well, dangerous and then getting engaged. If you're concentrating on so many things, it's hard to understand the skills and the fun of it. So the kids now, like we had kids in there over the last couple of weeks, ranging from five to 14 playing and sort of getting the gist of the game, like the scoring, the understanding of working as a team. Yeah. And they were really good. They were real. All of them were really good. Nice. Ellie, have you made friends through this? Yeah. Yeah. Like seven friends. That's good. It's a yeah. good number. <laughs> so is there a sport you haven't tried yet? Mm, hockey. Yeah. Well, you're working on your skating. Yeah. So, so someday that's you'll, why you'll get a stick. And a puck. Have you been? Have you been to a hockey game? Yeah. What do you think of it? Very cool. Yeah. So, as part of this, Carolyn, um, is there a cutoff for the age? So we we try we 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 engage with the families. So we try to include families. So we often will have children as young as four. We try to have their parents come with them, and they do the games and the movement with with some of our physical literacy instructors to age 14. And then they, you know, sometimes they lose interest or they move on to other sports. What we really want, we want them to come and learn sports, make sure they're ready to move to clubs, but to connect them to sport clubs in the community. So they're integrating and getting to know other Canadian kids. Well, Allie here, for example, plays on his volleyball team at school. Nice. And Ali volunteered for the Norsica Volleyball, the international tournament that took place here. So he volunteered at that. So it's a way of connecting the families into the community. So in terms of your volleyball then, what other sports have you been playing? So you got volleyball, you got soccer, you're trying out skating, you got curling. What else is there? 
Mm. It's a long list already. What are we doing in January? We just talked about it. Do you remember? Uh, I think basketball. There you go. Have you yeah. played basketball? Yeah. Okay. You good? No. No. Okay, well. <laughs> I don't play basketball. Okay. I just play soccer. <laughs> okay. Well, you're going to try to improve, I guess. Let's see. But I, I want to just, just go back to the rocks and rings thing because – um, the thing that is really great about that is that these kids are playing on these small teams. and Groups of how many? Groups of, so teams of four, three or four, mm-hmm. and watching sort of kids, you know, from ages 14, 10, 5, sort of all, almost on, like on the same team and them working as a team. And then they switch it up and they, they play together. And just watching that dynamic, just these are life skills that they're learning through sport. So it's not just about you know, playing the game and winning or losing or whatever it is. These are life skills. Um, and working on the behavior. And there we go. Yeah, <laughs> good to keep going, yeah. Yeah, because there's like three kids, they always, like, they have to work on their behavior and from the sports, like, they was saying bad words and now from the sports, they stop it mm. because we work as a team and... Yeah. Good, good. Now, in terms of the places that these new Canadians are coming from, is it a very diverse landscape that are participating in the Rocks and Rings? Uh, yes. So we have we have uh, families from Syria, Eritrea, Ethiopia, uh, Somalia, Sudan, Sudan, uh, Ivory Coast. Where else? Mm. I think that's most. Yeah. So you got a a, a, land, a wide scape of languages. That's right. Yeah. And and English obviously as well, and then there's the various levels of capabilities with English. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your English? Very good. Yeah, I learned more English from the program. Nice. Did yeah. You, did you about learn about sports? Right, and, and with sports, there's a lot of specific lingo. Yeah, sports is all about lingo. Yeah, that's right. And so there's a lot of words that yeah, like ends and learn about the hammer and yeah. And rules about sports, too. Mm-hmm. We also follow kind of the true sport principles. So, and we really work on respect others, give mm-hmm. back, include everyone. These are the three that we really focus on and try to emphasize. We even got the true sport <laughs> principles translated into Arabic. Nice. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, Carolyn, the, the goal of this is, you know, not just physical literacy because getting kids active is important. But it's a great way to incorporate people into the community because ultimately it's why I play beer league hockey is because you like playing and it also gives you a group of friends. It gives you people you get to hang out with. That's right. And we, the, the positive environment is critical mm-hmm. and making sure that kids would prefer to come and play sport than go somewhere else that's not so healthy. Mm-hmm. And this is the main thing is to give them those skills. So the sports skills, the life skills, the team building skills, Mm -hmm. all of those things so that they can make good choices and continue to be physically active and associate with positive people that keep them healthy. Well, I appreciate you both coming in tonight. This has been great. Thank you very much. Yep. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. 
What's the worst that could happen?